In the world of artificial intelligence, the first major choice companies need to make is what kind of large language model will be used to run the AI. As pilot projects merge into production cycles, how do you know if you've made the right choice? We're going to talk about all the different LLM decisions companies will need to be aware of on this episode of Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on the show today is Peter Pizarras. He is the Chief Strategy and Design Officer for New Relic. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. So let's talk about uh, New Relic just for a quick second. What do you guys like? What's your what's your background in this world of generative AI and and large language models? Can you give me just a quick two second uh, overview? Sure. Uh, New Relic is an observability company, Mm -hmm. which means that we help customers understand how their systems are running. So if you're a software company or if your service or business relies on software systems, New Relic can help ensure that your software system is up and running at all times. Okay. And um, so, but you, but you guys have been involved in, in generative AI and, and artificial intelligence for a number of years as well. So it's not like you're just coming into this from last year, right? That's exactly right. So we've had AI monitoring. So if your business uses AI itself, we can monitor the models that you're using. We can also monitor your usage of a third-party LLM. For example, if you're hitting OpenAI's APIs, then we can help you manage the cost. We can keep track of the prompts and responses and and help you manage uh, your overall implementation of gen ai okay so you as you've seen companies within the last year uh working on generative ai different projects and 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 things and even even with you developing your own where should most companies be at this stage in the process it it did feel like 2023 was the year of pilot projects and uh not much in the in terms of production cycle types of projects out there at least public facing um, projects so do you still see clients that are sitting on the sidelines in terms of having not done anything yet or um, where do you see a lot of people um, or is there still some analysis paralysis going on like they haven't made that decision because there's still so much out there yeah i think almost every company and customer we talk to is exploring llms in some way mm-hmm. there's some application of generative ai that they feel can help their businesses perform better a lot of companies are still figuring out what that is and ultimately what the ROI is on implementing those solutions. So there are different categories of companies who are relying on LLMs to a different degrees. For example, if you're an LLM model creator, well, that's your business. Mm-hmm. There are several businesses that are doing LLMs as a service, so you can plug into their LLMs. And I think a lot of other companies are implementing their own LLMs as well. But everybody's trying to figure out how Gen AI impacts their business. And I think we're transitioning from pilot programs to real production deployments. And we're seeing that increasingly throughout the months of the year. Yeah. Now, do you see do you see companies that are still kicking the tires and um, waiting on the sidelines or is is it they've made a choice and they're moving forward, but but keeping their eyes open for potential other LLMs that might be coming out down the road? Well, it is a technology that's very quickly evolving. Yeah. And it seems like every other week there's a new foundational model that's being announced or some big announcement. You know, there's an old joke that like every time OpenAI has a demo day, they kill a thousand startups. Right. <laughs> and that's because it's just a very, very rapidly moving technology. So I think that there are a lot of companies that are more conservative 
that may have done a couple of pilot projects and they're still waiting for the next generation to see how that might change their application of Gen AI. There are also some companies that may have charged too fast into the breach. And you know, there's a widely publicized story about an auto dealership who ended up committing to a customer to sell a car for $1 because that customer sort of did some prompt engineering, prompt hacking to get the AI to, to commit to that. And they had to honor that deal. Wow. So there's still a lot of uh, you know, trepidation among uh -huh. some customers. And, and I think we're all just figuring it out as well. Okay. So I, I guess that's the big fear for a lot of companies in terms of jumping into a space like this, because you don't want to be the company that has picked this LLM um, and either failed to test it correctly or somehow, and then all of a sudden now you've got to sell a car for a dollar. Right. Exactly. And I think most companies, what they're realizing is that there is no one like LLM that solves all of their problems. Yeah. And what most companies, and, and the primary driver for that, I would say, is that if you just pick one LLM, then what you're essentially doing is just providing a wrapper for that LLM. And you can guide it both in the input because you can have, uh, you can add to the prompt. So you can have additional context that you pass along with the user's inquiry to the yeah. LLM. And you can also filter the output so you can look for things like you know committing for a dollar uh, to to sell a car, um, but I think increasingly what companies are doing is rather than just those simple wrapper apps, they're they're doing something called retrieval augmented generation or RAG, it's called, and that um, allows you to enhance the LLM's output with proprietary data, private data that only you have. So GPT-4, for example, is very, very powerful in its understanding of language and even reasoning and ha produces some sometimes very magical feeling results. And yet they don't have access. That model was not trained on your customer's data. So the way you get around this is by um, using implementations like uh, technologies like Langchain or a RAG architecture, mm -hmm. which allows you to merge the insights from a base model LLM with some of the data that you may have uh, that's unique to your business. Do you do you see that's do you see that that where is that ugh, do you see that that's where we might be headed uh, with a lot of companies would be this 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 kind of mixed approach? Yeah, that's right, and I think that's what most companies are doing today. Or they've graduated from the simple wrapper mm -hmm. to more of this uh, advanced approach. And, and I can walk through an example if it's helpful. Sure. Um, for example, when, I, when a customer first uh, types in an inquiry or, or wants to do something with Gen AI, the first step in the process is to sort of figure out, well, what is the customer asking about? In the case of New Relic, for example, the customer might be asking for something that we could answer with our documentation. So if we, what we do is we ask a model, hey, what type of thing is this? And we have a defined set of tools, which are uh, back-end models that can answer the question. So the first step is to answer where to route this question. So if the customer's question happens to be answerable with our documentation, the first route will be to kick that request over to our docs model. And that's a smaller model that's been trained specifically on our documentation site. And so we can quickly retrieve the answer to that and return it to the customer without incurring a third-party cost of using one of these 
uh, foundational LLMs. Okay, so, do so you, that's an example of how how routing can help uh, get big, better result and for a better cost. Okay, so do you think mo- most companies then will go this approach rather than just trying to discover uh, a smaller LLM for their needs? It's more of a mixture of a, a good, maybe a good foundational LLM, and then and then you add in the additional data from your own proprietary data. Does that make sense, or yeah. you know, or, or is it more yeah, it of does. like, hey, we've got an LLM that can cover, um, you know, accounting, for example, and or is right. it more about I want to take a small general LLM and then tie it with my accounting data or my questions and answers? I, yeah. There, there are three and. and basically three levels of sophistication when you come to this implementation. Okay. The first is just sort of a wrapper around GPT. Yep. Let's say. Um, the next level up from that is what we were just talking about, which is a rag with using something like Langchain to route the request to the right, uh, the right uh, engine to provide the response. Okay. The level up from that is then you're running your own models. So you could take like an open source model like Llama or there are several others that are available and then you can do fine tuning with your own proprietary data and then run that model on your own infrastructure and use that in place of these third party offerings like OpenAI. That requires a level of sophistication and training so you'll be hiring ML engineers uh, in order to be able to do that yourself. Uh, but that's the the sort of third pillar. And then, of course, if you open that up to the outside world and offer that service to others, that's perhaps even even one one degree greater. Right. So so then, you know, what are the big challenges that companies face when trying to determine what the right LLM will be for their AI project? Because it, it already sounds like you've got you've given me three different approaches here with this this, right. this choosing. So um, what challenges do they face? Because it does sound like some of this is more expensive than others and um, some will take longer than, than than others as well. Are those kind of the big hurdles right now? Yeah, and I, I would say that that there are many dimensions across which you can select the right LLM. But for example, if cost, if you're, you're, what you want to do is use your LLM to drive, to, to manage costs. Mm-hmm. And one great example for this is that there's this company that provides um, a chat experience for checkout services. So if you're running an e-commerce company and you have a checkout service, somebody adds item to their shopping cart and they're navigating through the site, cart abandonment is a big issue because that's mm-hmm. lost revenue. Right. What these companies have done is tried to model when to intervene to try to help that customer come to a buying decision. And what they sometimes do is pop up a little chat window and says, hey, can I help you? And that's powered by a human. But what they've determined is that if they put up a chat interface and have you talk to an LLM, often you can get the same result for one-tenth the price. So for them, they're really driving costs down and increasing their bottom line. Like Their revenue uh, ends up growing and they're doing it more cost effectively. So for companies like that, um, it may be worth investing in your running your own LLM and, and investing in the engineering to, to be able to control it widely. Right. But for other companies, what they're relying on is sort of the magic of LLMs, that they can answer questions that you think were unanswerable or they can just do things that just really wow their customer base. And you're always going to get the best performing LLMs uh, from a sort of magical perspective 
from the foundation of the big players like OpenAI, Anthropic, um, you know, Microsoft service with with their collaboration with OpenAI. So for customers that really want to um, to optimize for quality of the experience, um, you might consider a third party app. Yeah, so I guess a lot of it depends on the end goal again of what you want out of the LLM, right? To, so that they, you know, companies going in should have a sense of what they want to accomplish, right? That's right. That's right. And you know, there there are many other factors that that go into this. Uh, for example, how important is it? For you to avoid hallucinations, like the example we we had about the one dollar car that was sold. Peter, you're predicting uh, my next question. Case, so, <laughs> oh, sorry. No, that's so good. That's a good I, segue. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You go ahead, keep going. You know, you you brought up hallucinations, but also I wanted to bring up like to- toxicity and, and bias as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, and for those customers for whom that's super important, like if you're a banking application, right, and you don't want to, you can't afford to make uh, errors in transactions. Um, then you might want a tighter control, in which case taking a model that exists, developing your own model or using an open source model, using fine tuning, really understand how it works and then hosting it yourself gives you far more control. Uh, But there are heavily engineered input and output filters that you can also employ. And one of the key to all of this is having visibility into Mm -hmm. how your model is performing. And that's where observability companies increasingly come into play, and companies like New Relic. All right, all right, all right. We're gonna, we're, you're gonna, all I'm the gonna pass on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know. You're, you're a great company. So let's. Um, <laughs> I want to I ask another question. So, like, does that that also um, asks the question about security to make sure that the LLM is 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 providing, I guess, data security or or preventing leakage. I guess would be right. the, the the question. And then, how much performance does one of these LLMs you know, is that can that affect the the success of an LLM? Yeah, so su- super important because you know today's LLMs uh, are limited to, for the most part, limited to conversation, and so you'll type a request, you'll get a response, and you'll you'll uh, have that conversation ongoing. Tomorrow's LLMs, and I think increasingly, and we're doing this at our company as well, is that we allow the customer to take action based on their conversation. So they can direct the, the back end, the model, to do something. And in those cases, security becomes super important. You need to have control. And only in your most confident scenarios are you willing to take the human out of the loop. So we always talk about, you know, are the humans still in the loop? Are they still involved? Do they still approve something? But increasingly, I think that we'll find much in the same way that you can use your smart speaker to order, you know, a replacement roll of toilet paper from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, too, uh, will you be able to use all kinds of different chat-like interfaces with the companies you already have a relationship with to transact with them? And there uh, it becomes super important. The accuracy and security becomes uh, critical uh, so that you don't end up making mistakes. All right, and and Peter, this is something we talked about before the show as well. What uh, what role does the cloud um, play in a company's decision around LLM choice and and usage? Um, you know, a lot of companies that might not have done their you know I don't say might not done their research, but they they might be thinking, okay, there's all of these LLMs out there. 
I'll just go with yeah. a part, you know, my cloud partner is X and I'll just right. go with whatever AI option they use because I've already sure. got this great relationship with company X or Y. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that, that is a fine, is an okay decision to make or are there other layers of AI in the cloud that, that people might not have, have been thinking about? Sure. And a lot of that depends on sort of where you are in the sophistication scale that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Are you just a wrapper uh, for one of these backends? Are you building your own models, et cetera? Uh, because certainly using one of these cloud-based services, if you already have a relationship with a hyperscaler, it's a really easy decision to just use the backend LLM that they they offer and they provide. Uh, that can often be the easiest way and the fastest way to get up and running right. with a pilot or or a solution. Um, there are availability issues depending on the scale of your business. Even the big guys like Microsoft and Google, sometimes you can't always get the capacity that you want for the model that you want. So be sure to check that if you make that decision, you check with your cloud partner that they will be able to satisfy your needs. Now, availability becomes increasingly uh, critical if you decide to host your own models. Uh, because then you have to buy the hardware right. uh, and host it somewhere because it's unlikely that you'll bu- find bare metal today that you'll be able to host your own LLMs in the cloud. Now, it it does exist, but it's just a little bit harder to find. And the availability of the hardware is often a constraining factor. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess, should we assume that all that most of the LLMs are going to be based on some kind of cloud infrastructure? Or are you seeing some companies that are insisting that they they will just host it themselves? I think it, a lot of it depends on as these applications get deployed, you'll find some that are uh, governed by security requirements that won't allow them to run in the cloud. Yeah. But I think that will be the minority. I think that the trends will likely follow the overall trend in our industry, which is uh, migration to the cloud. Yeah. All right. And so how expansive uh, should a company's approach be when they're exploring some of these new and up and coming LLMs? Uh, and again, it's weird to say this, but should they choose a veteran model that's only been available for about a year or so? Or, you know, do they are are more in new LLMs coming out on a regular basis or has the has it plateaued in terms of the choices that are out there for for companies? Because, again, just keeping track of the LLMs out there, it can be a full time job. Right. It, it, re- it really is. Yeah. Um, I think one thing is a certainty, which is that the technology will continue to evolve to evolve and at a pretty breakneck pace. You know, it's only been a year since we first heard of this right. before it became popular. And, you know, if you look at, for example, the difference between GPT 3.5 and GPT 4, uh, GPT 3.5 scored uh, 12, 1260 on the SAT and GPT 5 <laughs> scored a 1410. So, you know, plus 150 points in six months. Yeah. So we can expect when GPT-5 comes out, uh, it will probably have a similar improvement. And then the use cases become much broader. Uh, GPT-4 also became multimodal. So we ended up being able to manipulate, you know, understand and create images uh, and, and audio as well. So, and now increasingly video, Google just came out with a very impressive text-to-video demo, um, which you haven't seen, I suggest listeners to to look it up. Uh, It's really, really impressive. So it depends on what your use cases are. If what you're trying to do is optimize for costs, as we were talking about that shopping cart example, Mm -hmm. then using an older model 
can be much more cost effective and more predictable because you're it's a sort of known target. It's not going to get a lot of updates. But if you really want to be on the bleeding edge and explore the art of the possible, then just make, make sure to allocate enough of your engineering bandwidth to do the research and keep up, keep up with all the latest developments because it really is quite a breakdown. Yeah, break, yeah. Break so I've got, I've got two questions based on that where you could see uh, a bunch of companies going, well, I already, I all, well, I've seen what's happened in the last year. And we saw that, that, that GBT three and then 3.5 and four, and they made these big yeah. leaps in intelligence, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. So I could see a bunch of companies going, well, why should we deploy now? Or why should we even try, you know, when I know that six months from now or a year from now, it's going to be even super, even more super smart. Um, and maybe they, they wait on the sidelines there uh, versus, you know, something is like jumping in now. And then I guess, I guess it's almost like when, when do you want to buy that router? <laughs> you know? Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, I think I just talked well, myself out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, the way that we think about it, the way that I think about it yeah. is that the earlier you get involved, the more you'll learn and the more it'll put you in a better position as this technology becomes more and more impactful to your business. So I view uh, Gen AI as a fundamental shift in how we deliver technology and interfaces to customers on the same scale of the World Wide Web and the mobile phone. So I'm not sure it would have been good advice to anybody to say, oh, you know, let's wait to go on the web because we're still figuring it out. Now, the companies that were aggressively moving online were the ones that succeeded. Uh, Then the same with mobile. I I don't think it's good advice to sit on the sidelines and wait to see how it plays out because this this is an inevitability and it's just the, the... Early adopters will likely be in leadership positions. Okay, so the second question I wanted to ask, which was which was related, was that um, both you and I remember the years when someone could always be like, "Well, no one ever got fired for picking IBM." Remember that old that old that old saying? So is is there some is there an equivalent in the AI space where someone could say, "Well, no one ever got fired for picking OpenAI," or you know, whatever whatever is the current, um, you know standard or the the current you know leader in the clubhouse uh, it, it's a tough question to answer because yeah. although open ai certainly is the you know that would fit into that category it's also true that depending on what your needs are it may be a very expensive solution and using an older model or a different model an open so- source model may mit- meet your company's needs better mm-hmm. so uh, i be you know nobody got fired for buying IBM was due to IBM's long track record of leadership in the industry. Right. And I'm I think this technology is too fast moving in order to already crown a winner. Okay. All right. So, um do you think that there's good that there would be executives out there that would assume that they should just pick OpenAI or do you listen to the people that have that knowledge and go, "Well, this this smaller LLM is 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 just as good or just it it, it fits our needs a lot better." Um I definitely think there's a variety and one of the factors as you mentioned earlier is who's your cloud partner. Um because for example, Google has their own set of 
solutions. Microsoft with Azure has their own set of solutions, and so does Amazon. So that often factors heavily into the decision of which one to which one to use mm-hmm. if you're using a third-party LLM, and that's a, a very real cost with re- very real reasons why you might pick one over the other. Okay. And, and I've asked this of, of some other guests on the show, just we're at the beginning of the year and um, it's still early uh, in 2024. Um, but as the year turns, and, and again, this is an old media trick where we look back at the last year and look ahead to the next year. But do you think that 2024 is the year where we see many of these pilot programs moving into production phase, whether it's, in, you know, you had an internal tool and now you want to make it external um, or is it more of just, we're going to expand the number of pilots that we're doing um, and and I know the easy answer is going to be a mix of both, um, but what's your what's your gut feeling about where where we stand with companies moving into that next phase? Do we do you see companies out there, for example, that are pushing forward with uh, external production types types of things? I, I think we're going to see widespread adoption of LLMs in our everyday life. Yeah. And one example would be, I'm sure most of us have smart speakers at phone at home. Yep. And yet, if you spend any amount of time interacting with a modern LLM, you'll realize just how not so smart those smart speakers are. And it's a no-brainer that all the major players in the smart speaker game will eventually change their backends to an LLM-based backend, so you'll have much more sophisticated interactions with them. Will that happen in 2024? If I were betting, I would say probably yes. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, one of the killer apps that will really catapult this technology into the forefront. I think you'll see it increasingly adopted across all types of businesses. But once it starts touching our everyday life, where we're interacting with them multiple times a day, then you're going to grow to expect that from every other application yeah. you use. Well, what's interesting is we I, I did see some news about Amazon and and they wanted to add, uh, I don't know if they've been calling it an LLM, they've just been like adding GPT-like experience with their smart speaker slash uh, Alexa, <laughs> but they want to charge for it. Like they, they don't want to just provide this as a free uh, kind of thing. Um, and, and, and I think most people were like mocking that that capability right um like should we look for maybe seeing what google's gonna do or or because that or i guess it's amazon and google and i guess apple but apple apple rides to its own beat that's right they do they'll probably come late to the party with something that's dazzling in some way we didn't expect right well Um, yeah they've had so much invested in siri that like i'm just trying to see if they're ever going to pull the plug on that thing but um, right, yeah. Like, will will most people understand? You know, most maybe maybe in the consumer side of things, more the the general public. Will they will they recognize that they're dealing with an LLM, or will they just call it AI? Will they just call it a chatbot? Like, you know, does a company need to explain to its customers that they're that they're now using this? I guess there's like six questions in there. Sorry, Peter. I, I, I don't, I don't think they will. I yeah. think it'll just get better and better. And as we have either voice or text-based interactions with, uh, you know, this won't change point-and-click-based interactions very much. So, for example, your website or your mobile app, mm-hmm. if you're pointing and clicking on buttons, it's not going to change those interactions very much, at least not in the foreseeable future. But where it will change, and they'll just get better, you know, the next version of Amazon smart speaker 
I'm avoiding saying her name because there's one sitting right here. I don't okay. want to start talking. <laughs> um, the next version of their smart speaker, it'll just understand you better. And it will be likely implemented with one of those technologies levels that we talked about. Well, they'll route your request and sometimes it'll get answered by the LLM. And sometimes it'll get answered by their existing technology because that's cheaper. And and it'll just get better at answering questions and you won't necessarily uh, see a step function improvement. Yeah, you'll see it improve over time as it as they involve it more and more. All right, and then and then, all right. So we've we've answered the question of where we're going to be in twenty twenty four as more of these companies start experimenting and 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 going out to production. At some point, do you see companies looking at some of these projects and then asking, "Hey, where's the ROI around this?" or is there more leeway that a lot of companies are going to give to these AI projects? Again, seeing as, you know, I've been covering technology for, for 20 something years now, and I've seen hype cycles come and go, come and go, come and go. And usually the hype cycles end when uh, companies start asking about, Hey, where's the ROI around this? Um, but it, it, it feels like that the, the amount of, of slack that companies are getting for AI is a lot more than maybe they would have gotten on something like blockchain or some early or other, other hyped type of product. Do you feel that as well? Or, or do you think that there might be a day of reckoning coming for um, some of these AI projects? I think it's such a foundational like step function improvement in interface that, and it's, it's also just feels inevitable. It feels like it's just a better way to do it. I'll give you an example. Yeah, I was um, I was recently uh, leaving the grocery store and I was approaching my car, and uh, it I happen to own a Tesla, which has an app rather than a key, which for most use cases is much more convenient. But <laughs> in this, you know, when you're when you've got a shopping cart in your hands, fumbling with an app, opening your phone, unlocking it with Face ID, finding the right app, and then clicking on the control to open the trunk. That's just not as convenient. And so I was thinking to myself, why can't I just talk to my car? As I approach my car, it should be able to recognize my voice. Yep. And I should say, be able to say, open the trunk. All of that technology exists today. And I'm almost certain that some version of a car, whether it's a Tesla or something else, will offer that feature in the next couple of years. And once one car has it, like we can talk about like what's the ROI of that, but it just becomes table stakes because it's such a convenient feature that everybody will demand it. Sort of like a backup camera in your car, like every car today is sold with a backup camera. Right. Because it's it's table stakes now for the car companies. And I believe that the the advances, the step function improvement with LLMs will force companies as they see their competitors make innovation after innovation that they'll just need to keep up in, in order to remain competitive. So it doesn't feel like there's going to be uh, an AI crash or a generative AI thing, it, unless unless something else, maybe other some other shiny object comes along, right? right? Like, well, oh. it's shiny object, or you know, there's also threats to the industry, like from the copyright holders, for example. Yeah, and the danger there is that if the regulatory environment makes it difficult for the companies like OpenAI to make a strong business case. I think that puts us in a challenging position because there are other regulatory environments around the world where they don't have such restrictions. Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting competitively uh, at a global scale. Okay, so 
I, again, I want to I want to wrap up the uh, the episode just to get back to the the, the discussion of how to choose that right LLM. If you did have to, you know, give a couple of pieces of advice for companies that are um, in this process right now, they might not have started it or they are in the middle of it. Like what are some of the big advice uh, that you would give having gone through this for your own company, but also then working with other companies that are experimenting? I would say beginner mode when you're doing a proof of concept, create a wrapper for your cloud service providers, LLM. Mm -hmm. And most of them offer them today. All right, and uh, then intermediate mode, yeah, uh, is something like Langchain and a RAG to provide a better customer experience, and that involves uh, creating a vector database of your own proprietary data, most likely. And then advanced mode is using an open source model, and then do uh, some fine uh, fine tune fine tuning so that you can add your proprietary data and then run and host your own model. All right, cool. And and that just reminded me of another question or another another it's probably more of a statement is that do will companies ever be done with their project? It, it feels like you mentioned fine tuning at the end there. It, it feels like with AI and especially um, a lot of generative AI projects that that you may feel like you are done and you can deploy it, but you're going to be constantly updating this stuff, right? It's almost like the video games that always get constant patch updates and things like that, right? One thousand percent. It's it's not only that, but like you'll be even if the technology was stable, there's still so much room for improvement based on today's technology. Yeah. But next month there'll be an announcement that will reset your entire roadmap, and uh, and it, it, you should think about it as how much of your engineering bandwidth do you want to allocate to this activity because it will be a a, an, a long lasting. It'll be part of your business now. Yeah, and, and do you think most most businesses are probably used to that anyway with the the way that a lot of apps are developed now? Um, you know, Absolutely. You, like, yeah. If so, you build and maintain a website, if you build and maintain a mobile app, this is just sort of a third thing. Right. Uh, to think right. About so so you don't think most companies will will then end up in an, in any sort of trouble with maintaining a lot of these AI projects? I, I think they'll continue to develop them, and okay. and it's unlikely they'll they'll just mothball them into maintenance mode. All right. All right. Cool stuff, Peter. Thanks again for joining. Thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, some great stuff about LLMs. Thank you so much. All right. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts that you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.